Listening to the Staff Room Podcast with Che and Pav. We talk casually yet poignantly about the most relevant topics in teaching today. So come on and chat with us because we love to engage in great conversation. the seventh and final episode of the summer series for the Staff Room Podcast. In this episode, we talk to Rabia Kokar, teacher and educational consultant working in areas of equity and social justice from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. My name is Pav, Golden Sunset Wander, and I'm joined by my co-host, who usually introduces himself. Che, the warm sunrise, Cheney. <laughs> Pav, I didn't know you were adding a new uh, nickname and to your own. I just kind of threw it in there. So I had to go with it. Okay. And yes, it is our last episode of our summer series, but it won't be our last interview episode. But it, it again, similar to our Tom Shimmer interview, perfectly timed, I think, for teachers rolling into the new year mm-hmm. here in Ontario. Um, because where do you want to, you want some inspiration, you want some PD, but I think identity work, anti-racist yeah. work, inclusivity work is really important. It's, yes. it's not really important. It's foundational. And I think it can be daunting at times. And I think, I think this conversation makes it accessible. Yep. It just reminds you what you want to do and, and, and the focus on identity work and the focus on celebration and honoring lived experiences. And it's, I think it's one of those conversations where we may, may not be specifically talking about math. But I think there's so many great takeaways and methodologies and pedagogies that we know that we can turn our teaching or make our teaching foundational in these principles that go across ages and grades. I think you said it best. It just this conversation allows you to take some of that that the daunting task of introducing some of this work or just, you know, you don't know where to start, where to begin with with equity work in your classroom, uh, especially maybe if you're thinking about how do I do this with younger grades? Uh, this conversation with Rabia really provides that accessibility so that you have a place to start and a place to begin um, talking about the identity work, the importance of stories and how to get into some of like have those conversations conversations based on the community that you are teaching in, how to curate those books, how to curate the stories, how to do that identity work and how to involve the students in that work. Um, I think that that was definitely a key point in this uh, in this conversation and a great one to be listening to. I know that I'm uh, enjoying listening back to it as we edit and do the post editing for this interview and getting ready to go back to school. It's definitely a key one for that. A great place to learn. Also a great place to just revalidate that you're you're going in the right uh, the right pathway. Yeah. And you know, when teachers come back from the summer, maybe you have a new grade, a substantially different grade. And, it, and it's sort of warming and reassuring to know um, where you can sort of take on this work if you're in a, in a space that you're not as comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, Pav, I love the fact that you reminded that we had a really great conversation that anti-racist work, inclusivity work... It's, it's foundational. It shares a lot of similarities. But then there's also some nuances that make it different. Mm-hmm. Um, when Rabia spoke about her experience uh, in her community, the work is slightly different than, say, uh, our work in our community. But even for us, we know, we've had this conversation, the work is slightly different um, in the sense that 
who are you in the space? Right. And who is the community you're working with? Right. And when I think of my journey, I become really intentional and very aware that um, I'm a white male in an entirely racialized community. So my anti-racist work is important. It's foundational. But it's not necessarily, or can it be, the same as, Mm -hmm. say, yourself, who's born and raised in this community. You have a different connection. You have, I would say, a more... uh, uh, a shared experience yes. that's it's, that's similar. Yeah. And so when we think about anti-racist, do you know when to lead, when to be at the side, when to be in behind? I would sort of say my journey is a lot of learning early on. And then with self-awareness actually came a lot of uh, almost martyrdom or centering myself too much or saviorism. Mm-hmm. And then as the learning has come, is learning to decenter myself a lot more, if not entirely, and, and knowing when are the times to speak up. And of course, those roles are significantly different based on the community in which you're at yeah. uh, and, and then based on your experience. And so this conversation was great because... Uh, with you, myself, and Rabbi, it was three very distinct lived experiences that we had. That's right. And then teaching in, in very distinctly different communities. So how does the work slightly different? Because the work's not entirely the same all the way through. Um, and I thought that was a really good part of this conversation. Um, I'd also add, it's sort of when we talk about this work, Pav, I, I guess when we think of our journey, I think of this as sort of, this is a lot of where our content has been leaning, leaning towards. Certainly if I go back through our first 50 episodes, we probably didn't explicitly talk a lot about this work. Mm-hmm. But I think through our work that is really importantly connected us with other people in their work, we've been able to see and amplify. We've learned a lot more and it's, it's changed the focus of our content, which inherently has changed the focus of our teaching. Yes. And then I would also add that in this space, it's, it's not a competition to do equity work, inclusivity work, anti-racist work, because I think a lot of people tend to get a little intimidated by this space, especially in the social media space where you're trying to engage with this work. Or, or, or I'm going to assume, I'm not going to assume, having been in staff meetings where it gets really tense, these types of, types of topics often create some tensions. Yes. And I start to think collectively, where's been the pushback? And I don't even want to say pushback. Pushback is good conversation. But when I think about that comment about it not being a race, it's not a competition. When I think of our journey in participating in this type of space and in these type of dialogues, how well we've been received Mm -hmm. by sort of, I would say, from our perspective, the anti-racist champions. And then when you wonder who blocks you out from conversation, who mocks you for your participation in the conversation, you and I always joke that when you start to, you know, not that you're trying to categorize people, but... When we start to say who actually doesn't appreciate our voice in this space or our lived experiences in this space, they tend to be, and they don't tend to be, they are all, and by say, people that won't engage in conversation to the point where they'll block you or the point where they sit there and mock you. Mm-hmm. And they tend, and they don't tend to be. They are white, they're high school teachers, they're teaching English, and they teach in very affluent uh, communities. And we wonder, it starts, when we start to think about the work, because often I think you're going to get pushback in you think you get pushback in the meat of the work, but that hasn't been what we've found. Mm-hmm. I think of like Rabia and Pamela Agua and Kalinda Klein, uh, Dwayne Brown. Like I can list the names endlessly that are so engaged in the work and have welcomed us into the space and, and listened to our voice, redirected us in some of our learning. And then I think of people that absolutely ignore our participation in this work. And then I wonder why. Mm-hmm. And so this conversation just had a lot of, it has me thinking about a lot of these things, but I think it's a really valuable conversation just for us to validate, to put us in the new direction of where we want to go and really recharge us for the new school year. Yeah, indeed. You said it perfectly. Uh, The conversation did indeed validate uh, much of the work that we are doing. And and it propels us towards continuing to do a lot of that work. Rabia spoke a lot about uh, her identity and she spoke a lot about how her identity fits into the communities where she's teaching, but also providing her consultation services as well in regards to this area. So she spoke a little bit about that. And it was really interesting to get to know her in that in that regard. 
regard as well. And we constantly see the great work that she is doing on social media. And we've had conversations with Rabia in the past as well. So it was it was really wonderful to see her continued journey and uh, and also catch up to see what how her work is evolving over time. So I think that we should uh, dive into the conversation and uh, and listen to a little bit more from Rabia Kokar. Here's episode seven of the summer series for the Staff Room Podcast. Welcome to the Staff Room Podcast. My name is Pav Wander, and I'm here with my co-host, Che Cheney, and you're listening to an episode from our summer series, We're speaking to some awesome educators that we've met along our educational podcasting journey over the last two years, and we are so happy to be able to amplify their voices and their stories and highlight the important work that they're doing in education. Today, we are speaking to Rabia Kokar, elementary teacher in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Rabia is also an educational consultant doing lots of work in the areas of equity, social justice, and culturally relevant and responsive pedagogy. We're talking to Rabia today about the impacts of books and storytelling with students when doing social justice work in the classroom. Thank you so much for joining us today, Rabia. We're so happy to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you both. Rabia, thank you so much uh, for joining us. I love Pav's introduction because she says, you know, we're going to amplify stories. And I don't know if we can amplify uh, the work that Rabia is doing any more than uh, she's already amplifying that important work. So I know, one, we love to talk about amplification because teachers collectively always want to be amplifying the voice of their peers. Um, But also, Pav and I are just, we're thrilled to get to sit here and learn on this sort of two to one ratio of professional development because we know uh, that you have just a wealth of wisdoms and a wealth of of great experience curating books and talking about social justice that I know even a teacher of myself of of 21 years am still going to benefit from and Pav uh, I think she's in her seventh year or something like that now Um, she'll benefit (laughs) as well Uh, but Rabia quickly before we get started you know uh, let our our audience know a little bit about who you are and, and your journey what brought you to this place of inspiration and motivation where you feel this is where I'm going to make my mark in education. We'd love to know a little bit about that pathway, that journey to get you here. Yeah, um, thank you so much, both of you, too, for the introductions. That, that was so beautiful. Um, yeah, so my name is Rabia Kokar. I am a teacher and an equity consultant. Um, and so, you know, I think the story really goes back to when I was like four. I've always wanted to be a teacher. Um, And so teaching was something that I always wanted to do. But as I was growing older, I never really saw teachers who looked like me. Um, And so that really like uh, made me think that I couldn't be a teacher because I didn't see any representation. And, you know, being an immigrant and a first generation in this country, like not really seeing yourself reflected in in the things and experiences that you want uh, makes you feel like that's not something that you can do or, or that's not something that you can strive towards, you know, um, strive towards being or doing. And so I think my own experiences really impact the work that I want to do. And and really what inspired me was just having family and friends um, around me who really encouraged me and pushed me. So when I was experiencing um, a lot of those uncomfortable feelings with like, you know, being the only one in the space who looked like me, um, uh, they really just encouraged me and sort of helped me feel like I did belong in those spaces. Um, and so, you know, my experiences as a racialized person, as a teacher now really impact the work that I want to do. And I think, um, you know, having the ability to have taught in different roles in different parts of the city in Toronto um, has really helped me think critically about what equity, uh, representation, social justice looks like in a cross-curricular way. And so what I'm really passionate about is really bringing, you know, that equity or social justice theory to practice. And and so a lot of my work revolves around, you know, sharing my work um, as a way to build community, but also just modeling and, you know, um, really centering my own experiences to build community. So that's really, uh, you know, where I see my work sort of um, centering right now. That's uh, so great, Rabia, and and it's so important. I think um, I really relate to you in in the um, 
the area of of having that representation available to you, um, having a sense of belonging. And I think that the experiences that you bring to education really, it really shows that those things matter to you and have mattered as you have grown up. And you can then really be able to empathize and relate to your students as well, who may be going through the same thing, wondering the same thing, or haven't even been able to actualize that feeling yet. So you're, you've really done a lot to eliminate that, that sense of um, perhaps not fitting in or not belonging uh, to a particular community. So I, I really commend your ability to be able to build that community within your teaching space and even outside of it as, uh, as, as you reach so many global educators through the work that you are doing. Um, and you also do a lot of work in curating lists of, of reading material. And so we've always wondered, you know, how do you curate those lists? How do you put them together? And why is it so important for teachers to know these stories and even know the availability of these stories and books to be able to bring them into your classroom? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. That's a really great question. Um, I think, you know, what I'm really interested in doing is helping educators um, critically reflect on the books and the stories that are available to them, um, or stories that they might not even know exist. And I think a lot of our work in schools, I think particularly in elementary school, is really focused on, you know, um, using like the curriculum is oftentimes delivered through stories. And I think um, in my own experience, in my own experiences, um, you know, the stories often have been like single stories or they, they haven't really showed us like a comprehensive view or perspective. So I think um, what I'm really interested in is just, you know, expanding the stories that we know and the stories that have, you know, historically been centered in our curriculum. And just, you know, um, I think, when I curate stories or lists or books, um, what I really think about is like affirming the identities and experiences of my students, but also expanding. Um, so, you know, when we affirm the, the experiences and identities of our students, we're really helping them build a strong sense of self and like really respect themselves. But expanding stories and lived experiences is just as important because it helps us learn about different people um, in a respectful, authentic, and everyday way. So I think, you know, the idea of expanding and affirming is central to any curation that we do. And um, I think I'm really passionate about, you know, maybe starting with reading lists, but, you know, ensuring that reading lists are contextual, relevant, responsive to the students that you're serving. So, you know, something that's uh, fundamental to curating anything is really centering your work in your community and and we can only do that by knowing who our students are completely and building a relationship and report with them and so i think those are some of the ideas around you know how to curate um and really like what uh, responsive curation looks like. So, you know, a story that might be relevant in one space might not do the same thing in another space. And I think if we have that critical lens as educators, if we develop that critical lens of how to, you know, really check the content of a story, um, that's really how we can ensure that we are curating for our students uh, specifically to really center them in their experiences. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, stories are fundamental to our classrooms and because they really show us who belongs and who matters. And for so long, um, stories that we've known, like in my own experience, they've only centered or shown uh, particular particular people and experiences. And I think as educators, we can really use storytelling as a tool to expand um who we are and who we value and who we see. And I think that's really critical to building an inclusive world and community and society. Rabia, that's a a great response. There's so many things I want to touch on, and then I'll actually ask a question. And if you want to respond to anything I say and sort of my thoughts, uh, go for it. I'm going to go back to one of the things you talked about right at the beginning. Um, uh, 
because as a white male, you sometimes, a white male teacher, sometimes you need to constantly uh, hear these stories to just make sure you know uh, how you can be centered, whether you're speaking or not. This is a conversation Pav and I have had a lot that even if I'm not speaking, I realize that uh, that a lot of what I'm doing gets very centered, even when I try to remove myself. And you made that comment about wanting to be a teacher, but just not seeing representation was enough to crush those dreams. And although no one had said anything, or maybe someone had, but in that I took from that, no one had said anything specific. No one had said you couldn't be a teacher, but simply because you didn't see it, you didn't see uh, your culture uh, being centered or as teachers, it immediately just took that away from you. And I was thinking as a teacher, maybe I would think I'd be teaching a great lesson, but somehow your dreams had already been lost just by what you were seeing and experience. And although I know it, it's so important to constantly rehear it. As you talked about affirmations, I need to rehear that all the time. So I'm really glad you spoke about that right at the beginning, because it simply reminds me uh, that as a white male educator, especially as Pav and I talk about teaching in Rexdale, I'm always centered. Even when, even when I try to decenter myself, you have to really disrupt it because that white culture, whiteness is centered all the time. As Courageous Conversations will tell you, whether we say white or not, it's actually by not having to identify something as white implies that it's centered. Um, I also loved you talking about those resources. And I love that you talk specifically about how those lists and those books might differ in what spaces um, and who's teaching. And so you want to be representative of the students in your space, but also realize that if, if, and I haven't had that experience of moving, I've always taught in Rexdale, but if you're moving from school to school, district to district, family to family, you can't just bring, these are my, my 10 great books that work here, work here. I really liked that you brought that up. I think that makes us as a teacher, Pav and I've had this conversation is how does this social justice work differ because it has to be slightly different in all these spaces it can't just be these are the 10 steps you do to social justice and me again as a white male teacher in a completely racialized community it's got to be different than say pav being a racialized woman teaching her racialized community there's got to be a slightly different dynamic to how we go about that content or the stories we pick um um which is just you know random thoughts based on the things you were talking about and i love the fact that you went on that the stories couldn't just be about surface level culture. They have to be about deep culture and making sure that we're not just actually traumatizing students by using stereotypical stories in social justice that just reaffirms sort of what a certain cultures or races should be doing in, in, in society. So I really like that you brought that up, that idea of self-actualization is then the, the the primary step. Not that I always want to make things a series of steps. Self-actualization allows me to expand further, to to want to know my fellow my fellow classmate. So it's that mirror, it's the window, it's it's the sliding door. Um as I ramble, you can talk upon any of those things. Um, but as I ask you a specific question, with your experiences, with the great stories that you're curating, and not only curating, knowing and appreciating and knowing all the details of it. I mean, I sometimes I think that if you and I were to read the same story, the students wouldn't get the same experience unless I took the time to truly master the content. In some of your experiences with, with stories that you've curated, what does some of that vibrant conversation uh, look like? Um, how do kids respond to great text? How can you use a story as much as you curate a great book? How do you use that story to facilitate wonderful conversation or courageous conversation or safe dialogue or brave dialogue? What have been your experiences with students engaging in that rich storytelling uh, culture? Yeah, thank you so much for that response. Um, it was so meaningful, um, you know, just listening to what you were saying. And I think um, it really reminds me of like this idea that, you know, equity or social justice is not a checklist, but it is a framework that you can, you know, um, invest lear like learning about. And I think the framework will help us as we navigate different spaces with different students, um, different families in different situations so you know not a checklist but more of like a, um, a stance or a framework and I think what it really reminds me of is um, an experience I had as a teacher librarian um, where you know I was curating books focused on anti-black racism and our, our school was racially white so mostly most of the students were racially homogenous there was diversity in other ways like uh, you know different there was diversity in different ways but most of our students were white and so, you know, as a racialized Muslim woman, um, curating an anti-Black racism 
checklist or a book list was something that was very like, I had to be really critical about it. Um, you know, I'm not black. So I had to, you know, think about like, which stories I was, you know, going more towards or, you know, was I going towards a more of a particular type of stories that represented black people in a particular way, who was writing the stories. Um, and so all of these conversations were happening in my head. But I realized as I was curating, um, I had to first be aware of my own identity and how I was coming to this work. Um, you know, as a person who wasn't black, which stories was I prioritizing? Um, and I also learned that, you know, stories could provide a really great window for my students who um, were racially white. I think, you know, what, what I ended up doing was really bringing forward stories written and illustrated by Black authors that really showed Black uh, people and Black characters in really dynamic and diverse ways. Um, and I think that's, that's, uh, that's important. You know, I think as we think about like what equity or social justice looks like, we have to center ourselves and sort of just be humble um, about who we are and how we come to this work. And we also have to really center the children and students in front of us. How can we really use, you know, um, books to expand as well as affirm, you know, it's just as important to expand experiences from the voices of the community um, as it is to affirm. And oftentimes we have to think about which students are always being affirmed and which students are often left out in terms of, you know, affirming their experiences in books. So I think, you know, educators play such a big role about how we create this belonging or this learning environment that sees all of our students. Um, and just to answer your question about uh, which stories have impacted my students um, a lot. This year, we, uh, this year I was teaching English as a second language. So a lot of our students were new Canadians and a lot of like, you know, um, the stance that I was going in with was really, you know, um, thinking about how to honor the experiences and identities of my students. Because, you know, oftentimes um, when I came to Canada, I was also in an ESL classroom. And what I really remember, um, I think this wasn't really the intention, but what I remember was having to sort of let go of parts of myself and my identity to really fit into what it meant to be Canadian. Um, and so, you know, now as a person in a position of power, now being the ESL teacher, I really thought hard about how I was going to counter that idea or that narrative um, of, you know, having to give up parts of who you are to really fit in or be Canadian, whatever that means. Um, and so one of the ways that I really wanted to do this work was by bringing in stories that represented and helped my students really affirm their identities and experiences as well as expand, but really focused on affirming. And, and you know, so just bringing in text with like diverse um, identities experiences really had an impact on my students. Like when they would walk into the classroom, um, they would see like lots of different types of people represented. And then when we would read the stories, um, they would really be like, uh, sort of like amazed and shocked that, you know, their experience was reflected. And so I can remember two stories that really had an impact on my students' um, lives. And I think, you know, we really spoke about these stories all year long, even though we started reading them in September, they were sort of like this continuous conversation. One of the books was called um, Thunder Boy Jr. I think it's written and illustrated by Sherman Alexi. Um, and it's basically a story about a boy who, you know, doesn't like his name, and he wants to change his name. Um, and that really, um, that was something that really, um, you know, a lot of my students were saying that, you know, their names are so hard to pronounce and people are mispronouncing them and they want more like English names. And so this book, you know, provided like um, a safe way to explore those experiences, to not be ashamed of that experience. Uh, so it really provided like a safe, um, safe place, but it also gave a vocabulary of like, you know, what's happening? How am I? How can I connect to this character? Um, and then like, what can I do about it? How can I still love my name, but you know, be still be going through these experiences. So that was a book that, you know, a lot of our students continued talking about throughout the year. Um, and another book was called Going Up. Um, it's written by Sh uh, Sherry uh, Lee, and illustrated by Charlene Chua. 
Um, and it's basically a story about, you know, this apartment building and the community that lives within this building. And a lot of my students um, that I was serving lived in apartment buildings, and they were so like, excited to finally have a book with like an apartment building setting. Um, and what was beautiful was that we used the book to talk about families and, you know, in each level as, um, as you know, we go up a level in the apartment building, we learn about the different families that are living there with different um you know, different genders, uh, race, religion, identities. And so those two books, you know, when I asked students which books they loved the most at the end of the year, those two books really stood out for them. And I think it really like affirmed their experiences. And I think I, I would hope that, you know, it helped them uh, learn that they don't have to give up parts of who they are to find space here, you know? Rabbi, I took away so much from what you said. I have stars and notes all over my notepad here. Um, one of the the most, um, I guess it can become like the theme of our conversation today, you're, the idea of affirming and expanding. And I know that we we often talk about affirming the experiences of our students and uh, and and giving them the ability to do that through the resources that we bring into the classroom. But it's this notion of then being able to expand those experiences that I think is so essential when it comes to social justice work, when it comes to identity work, uh, when it comes to anti-racism. These are these are really important parts of the classroom connection, the community and conversations that we have with our students. Um, and I think that's something that goes very hand in hand with that is um, your points about knowing your own identity before you bring these uh, affirmations and these expansions into the classroom. Know who you are, know what your place is in the community, and then you can really do a much better job of of then affirming and expanding um, the stories and the lived experiences of the students that you have in front of you. And I love those examples that you have brought into the conversation as well. The uh, Thunder Thunderboy Junior was one of them, and uh, and going up, and that what that tells me is that you've really taken the time to get to know the students that you have in your space. So you've taken their experiences, and then you've been able to expand their knowledge base by bringing in other experiences that they might be able to relate to as well. Or they may be able to say, oh, you know, I've never had that experience living in an apartment building, but it's really interesting to be able to see that other people may have experienced that. So it just, it it really has, it, it's given the ability to take that learning and then just just blow it up and just give, give so many new world experiences for those students to be able to relate to. And that reminds me, as Che and I are middle school teachers, um, we have in the past few years brought in more and more picture books into our classroom setting for this purpose to be able to really make those uh, those small moments relatable and then be able to expand their learning in, in so many different ways. And we've brought in picture books that we have used in our classroom spaces for a month or more. And we're able to really, really expand with that learning. So can you talk to us a little bit? I know that you, you speak a lot about these curating lists of picture books. And I think that a lot of primary teachers are really drawn to those lists. But as a middle school teacher and, and Che as well, we are also really drawn to those lists because we have brought in uh, picture books more and more. What is the value of using picture books with older students, middle school and even high school? Yeah, um, I think you both are doing such an amazing job. I think, you know, really, um, <clears throat> picture books are for all kids, I think. Um, and I think, you know, at different, you know, ages and levels, they provide different opportunities, you know, for a deeper engagement. So I definitely think, you know, uh, picture books are, you know, really necessary for a middle school classroom, because they can really help us springboard. Um into relevant conversations that might be happening sociopolitically or, you know, just affirming and expanding once again their experiences. I think they really provide like a really great entry point. Um, and once, you know, they provide that entry point, then we can, you know, continue layering and building on our students' um, 
knowledge and experiences and you know I think the visuals and the illustrations also add to um, the experience of reading a picture book whether that's for younger children or older children I think there's so much um, that can be taken away with you know the words as well as the pictures and I think you know I, I really think there's springboards entry points uh, ways to affirm expand and really using them as, you know, um, an entry point. And a lot of the times, you know, we, we might have this stereotype that picture books are simple. And, you know, our, our older children, our older students might, you know, be bored, or, you know, they might think that it's silly that we're reading, you know, a picture book to them. But I think, because picture books are oftentimes so beautiful and so simple in their message, simple, but also detailed and intricate, I think that's where the beauty is to really bring this content to all levels. And, you know, I think it's okay if they're simple, because that's a place to start, you know, that's, that's where we have to start. And then we can always use them to build on. And I think there's so many great picture books that are really, um, centering and dealing with a lot of issues that are happening in our local and broader communities. They're, they're really uh, places to go and to start these conversations. Ravi, that's a great, uh, great response to that. And I think it's so important to understand that stories are for everyone and even adults. Like I think of these read alouds and, and, you know, I've read the, the chapter books, but going through I've had personal growth by looking through those picture books because you, I always think it's just, it's, it's the quickness of accessibility. Sometimes when you're doing a novel study, the story is really important, but you're, you're putting all your energies in sort of the one story and that one learning moment. But I found, Pat, maybe you can tell me if I'm wrong or, or you can affirm that I'm right with our um, tournament of books activity that we curated, where we curated those 16 books. And then we had a, an activity to go with each one. Students were really able to get a real taste of a variety of different social justice issues. Ones where they had that affirmation and other ones where they learned, I think of water princess. And we were, it was such a, a great access point to environmental racism that, you know what, throughout the lessons or my novel study, we hadn't been talking about that, but all of a sudden that one day, that one activity, and then it leaks into your science because all of a sudden it's something you can quickly draw back to, which Pav, I think also reminded us that stories aren't just bound by English. I think Pav and I, one of our experiences is that we think that curating anti-racist work sometimes is easier, not that it's easy work, but when you're be connecting it to language and stories, because it naturally draws upon there. But Pav and I have found great worth in making sure we're using stories as entry points for science. Sunil Singh talks about this all the time with math. There is not math anxiety, it's math alienation by not being seen in, in the math. So we've had great value with that. And when you talked about kids getting that easy access, I immediately think of A is for activist. It's a kid's book with vocabulary, but in our in our class, Pav, I don't know if it, you voted in your class, but when our class was voting for their most impactful books, they picked that one. And maybe as a middle school teacher, you would trivialize, oh, they'll know these terms, but maybe they don't know these terms and maybe they don't see them regularly. And that picture and that visual uh, was great affirmation for that. And so we know we've seen personal growth in ourselves and in our teaching and our students learning by embracing stories across all curriculum and then uh, advocating for teachers and beyond ourselves to want to embrace stories at all ages, that it's not simply for uh, young kids. And I think it's just, it's sort of the default. And I think of the, the, the pathway of education is that this is sort of that colonial framework of teaching young kids, young books, and we just somehow dissipate it and we lose the value and we get caught in very colonial pedagogies of what middle school teaching should be like. And when you disrupt yourselves and you find that self-actualization and then you experience, Pav and I always like to joke that we have a swag bag. We got something for you as teachers. And and beyond this really rich conversation, um, it, when you think of the, the experiences you've had, what are some specific examples? I took this story and we did this and I had this great impact. Like Pav and I always refer back to our tournament of books and making bookmarks and talking about characters and identifying a social justice issue or playing with vocabulary or turning this into a poem. What is something that you've had where you've been able to take that story and and maybe, maybe it is just a conversation but where have you seen this is a great activity that i connected to this read aloud that really uh, as an active practitioner i saw these wonderful results and then if you give us a little swag bag then you let our audience know where you are what you're doing what else that you're up to because you are up to a lot and we are very thankful that you gave a little bit you gifted us a little bit of your time and a vast amount of your knowledge 
Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, I think, you know, books provide us with a lot of, you know, ways to engage in many different activities. And I think with my students, you know, this year, particularly in an ESL classroom, what we what we did was, you know, we would read a book and I would ask a lot of like questions before, during and after. And I think those questions, you know, before questions to really build up uh, what we were going to talk about really, but to activate, you know, students' knowledge and experiences, that really helped us, you know, asking before questions, then stopping in the middle of the story to ask, you know, what's happening in the story? How can you connect to it? So those during questions really helped us make sense of the experiences. Um, and the story itself, which was very important for, you know, my students to really uh, think about their experiences, but then also think about what's happening in the story and what the characters are going through. And then end questions were also really important because it helped us consolidate what we read, as well as, you know, think about, um, you know, how can we connect to this or what did we learn? So for me, I, I think, you know, critical questions are really um, how to take the story beyond just, you know, like reading it. I think it's really great to read a story and to curate stories. But but then, you know, how do we model how we're using these stories? It's it's one one thing to have all of these beautiful stories in our spaces. And I think that's really important as well. But then it's just as important to then model and use these stories. And so those critical questions really help my students, you know, make sense of, um, you know, what what they're reading and it, breaking breaking the story up into those bits or even reading it a second time really helps them make sense of what the story was about. But some of the stories, you know, going up, we used it to launch into thinking about our own families and making a family tree and family portrait. So that was really cool. You know, um, students were able to, you know, uh, use their own imagination and also their own experiences to show us what their families looked like. And then we displayed it in the classroom. So to really build, um, you know, that there, this is your space and all parts of you are welcome here. Um, some of the other books that we read really focused on names. We, we, we read a couple of books throughout the course of the years and then we made our own classroom book based on, uh, you know, opinion writing and thinking about why our names are important and why we all have different names. And so, you know, over the course of the year, we built on our knowledge, we built on the themes that we were we were thinking about. And, you know, we did some of those tasks, some of those were small tasks. Um, and then some of them were even more bigger where, you know, the book, the classroom book where we talked about why our names are important was sort of like a consolidating experience that we had after we read um, so many different books. But also just, you know, using books as an entry point to talk about skin color. And, and you know, in the beginning of the year, we, we read some books about, um, you know, uh, yeah, like names, you know, all parts of your identity. And we use that to make, you know, our portraits and we put them up in the classroom. So just some of some of the books, you know, I think books really provide us with any way that we want to go, whether that's, you know, a big project or a small project. And so through the course of the year, you know, some of the books that we read sort of, you know, um, helped us do one activity, some of them built up to a culminating activity. And I think, you know, at the heart was always those critical questions the before, during and after questions um, that really helped students understand what the story was about. I love those strategies, uh, Rabia. You've highlighted some uh, really great ones, and uh, some of those that I've already been doing in my in my classroom. But some of them that are very interesting and different and new. And so you've given me some ideas for next year. I really love that idea of creating your own classroom book based on uh, based on the the many books that you have read throughout the year and using that as a consolidation piece. So I'm already thinking about oh th that's the a perfect idea. Um, that critical questions piece, I think that that is so important because um, I know that Che and I, we share a lot of resources, we share a lot of our tasks, we share a lot of our units, even if we are teaching different grade levels. So we, we adjust it to meet the needs of our students um, accordingly. And Che talked about the tournament of books. And uh, we had 16 books, which were the same between the two classes. 
Um, and Che did uh, a lot of the activities that we developed to go with it. And I quickly learned that my students were just not gravitating toward those activities in, in the same way. So we actually changed and altered and accommodated the learning in our space to become much more critical question oriented. And um, what we decided in our space was to simply ask one question for each book the same question for every book that we read. And that was, what is the social justice theme in this book? And the amount of dialogue, the amount of discussion, the amount of debate that we had coming out of the, just that one simple question. Sometimes we would read a book and then answer that one question for three or four days. And we would just continue to work on uh, thinking through like, well, why do you think that that was the social justice theme? Why do you think that it was this? And, and just being able to really dialogue at the grade six and seven level on, on those social justice themes was so valuable for us as a class and, and ended up being something that they really took away. And, and although that there were some really awesome activities that went along with that tournament of books, um, they just, it just didn't grab them the same way. They, they just didn't grasp onto it. So I think that that really goes back to your point earlier about knowing your students and knowing what they are able to take away from, um, from the task then the books and the reading that you do in the classroom. And um, everybody's going to have a different experience, um, old and young students. So thank you for highlighting some of those really great strategies. Um, Rabia, what are you up to? Tell us a little bit more about where people can contact you, where they can reach out to you, where they can learn more about the awesome work that you are doing and how they can bring you into their space as well to affirm and expand their learning. Yeah, um, thank you so much. I think, you know, just going back to your previous point, if that's okay, um, I think, you know, I think oftentimes we think that we need these like super comprehensive critical questions to ask our students, but you know, your experience really shows us that oftentimes it is those simple or what we perceive as simple questions that elicit like the most um, conversation or connection from our students. So I think that's like a really important point about, um, helping you know giving space to for our students to make meaning and make sense you know and and I think our students will always show us all of the amazing things that they're noticing and wondering and, and experiencing um, in terms of learning more about my work um, people can reach out to my website um, www.rabiacocar.com or my twitter where I really enjoy sharing some of my learning and in terms of what's next, um, I am working on like a September or fall newsletter, back to school newsletter for educators, as well as um, a back to school reading challenge. Um, and just thinking about um, sort of developing uh, a reading survey, like a, an identity focused reading survey. So those are some of my goals, hopefully. Um, I can work on them in the summer or they're just sort of like some future goals that I would like to engage in. Thank you so much, Rabia. That was, uh, that was great. And, you know, we are going to definitely include all of that information in our show notes so that uh, listeners can keep up with you and catch up with you and connect with you because um, I think that everybody needs to uh, have you on Twitter and, and check out your website as well. So thank you for providing uh, that information for us. And thank you so much for having this conversation with us and gifting us with, uh, as Che eloquently put uh, earlier, your wisdoms and your knowledge with us, because uh, we've learned through this, through this conversation, we've really reflected on many of the strategies that we've used in the classroom. And, and we've really thought hard about how we're going to alter those experiences for next year as well. So thank you for having the conversation with us. Thank you for joining us. For, uh, for the summer series of the Staff Room Podcast. And we're so excited to continue our connection with you. Thank you so much for having me. It was such an honor to speak to you both today. Well, Pav, that was another great conversation. Uh, we would love to... Uh, 
know that now that you know a little bit about Rabbi, you can connect with her. But I feel like saying the chances are you already know Rabbi, and hopefully you can connect with us because now yes. you know who we are. Because <laughs> uh, Rabbi is doing so much great work, sharing so many great resources. It is tough to uh, miss her her voice, to miss her work out there in that space because she really is a, a wonderful advocate, uh, truly informed, very wise on, in this area. So if you haven't connected with her, uh, absolutely, you know, yes. I must follow. Well, yes, we will uh, put all of her information. Actually, you'll find all of her information in the show notes. So please check out Rabia and all of her wonderful content. Um, this was a very enlightening conversation. It was very, for myself uh, and probably for you too, Che, it was a very validating conversation. If It really just felt like, ah, you know, it's it's nice to know that we are working together in in this direction that we're going and we're each doing different things we're providing different things but we're we're in all working towards that social justice work that we are doing and uh and it was nice to hear all of the really great things that rabia is up to you're right it's, it's not a race it's no. not a competition for for anti-racist work and and there will be tense conversations and there will be lived experiences that people really need to appreciate empathize and and, and learn from but you said that best. It is truly working together. That doesn't mean it's always in harmony, mm. but it's not about some of my learning. It's not about centering yourself and feeling, um, I don't know what's the right word, but feeling it's a competition with others to do right. better equity work or right. better identity work. If you're doing great identity work, I hope you're sharing it. Yeah. And I hope if we do great identity work, we're sharing it. And right. then conversely, when we maybe go in, or in the wrong direction, we hope we're not ostracized for it, but we're, you know, brought we're into the conversation. Yeah, yes. that's right. Uh, and you said it best just before the episode began. Uh, you know, we're all in different places. We're in, in our equity work that we are doing is different based on our own identities and how we fit into the community where we are teaching. And so that's something that Rabia highlights about knowing ourselves and how we fit into the community. And I thought that that was a key takeaway for me uh, to be a little bit more intentional about when we are doing the work in our own spaces. I think, Pav, that's the perfect summary. It's self-actualization to know we have a shared responsibility, foundational pieces, but we have to know our space and our lived experience to know how to best do this work in our space because they are not similar from community to community and also based on who you are as a teacher. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So thank you, Rabia, and thank you for listening to this fantastic episode. And uh, And we hope to... Uh, <laughs> it's that music again. Hold on. I was wondering why, why are we still talking? Oh, wait, there's no music to there's end this no episode. no music, but that's all right. It was a great uh, little summary uh, towards the end of a great episode. And uh, yeah. So thank you for listening to our summer series. Expect the full episode returns of Che and Pav on the Staff Room Podcast as we race, we race and we chase our 100th full length episode. So please join us with the Staff Room Podcast. Visit us at chainpav.com. And thank you for joining our summer series this summer on the Staff Room Podcast with Che, the Hurricane, Cheney, and Pav. Gentle summer breeze wander. Thank you, everybody. We will see you next time for episode 94 of the Staff Room Podcast. 